0: on January 1st of this year, America entered into one of the most unexpected yet important international relationships in her history. Now this foreign friendship didn't come from sports fandom like with David Beckham. It didn't come from impressively high fashion like with Giorgio Armani. It didn't come from our love for shaggy locks or catchy beats like with the Beatles, nor did it come from our sheer infatuation of pure genius with Einstein. No, this time, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the country of unending yard sales fell head over heels in love with an unassuming four-foot, seven-inch Japanese woman toting tiny boxes and a radiant smile, Marie Kondo. Now if you are somehow unfamiliar with Netflix's Most Watched 2019 series, let me enlighten you. Ms. Kondo's mission in life is to spark joy in the world through cleaning. Are you excited yet? Hmm. Yes, her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, boasts that if you will just organize and declutter your home properly one time, you'll never have to do it again. And as you go through this experience of decluttering and tidying, you get a sense of calm and a spirit of thankfulness. And don't forget lasting joy as you clear away the clutter. Well, obviously intrigued, I decided to study this show and enter into my own journey of joy. And so in the KonMari method of tidying, she has five categories that you have to tackle. And the first category is your clothing. Marie Kondo has every single one of her clients bring together every article of clothing they own and put it in one giant pile, every closet, every drawer, all of it. Then she instructs them to pick up each item individually, hold it close to you and decipher if it sparks joy. If it does, then you put it in the keep pile, if it does not, then you thank it for its service to you and you discard it. It seemed simple enough to me, however, after three days and 20 plus hours of snuggling every article of clothing I own, the only things left in my keep pile were two pair of sweatpants and my wedding dress. (laughs) Since I can't wear sweats to work and I don't fit into my wedding dress, (laughs) I just put it all back in the closet and I moved on to category two. Category two is to organize your books. Now, I knew that this would be quite the undertaking, but I felt up for the task until I read Ms. Kondo's suggestion that ideally one should only keep 30 books. 30. Have y'all met my husband? (laughs) Yes, let me tell you, when we moved away from this campus and moved to Southern California after graduation, we rented the tiniest latch-on U-Haul available because the only things that we had to put in it were our mattress, two tubs of dishes, and 87 boxes of books. So I realized very quickly that if I was actually going to embrace the KonMari method of tidying, the real question I needed to ask myself is, does Michael spark joy? In my life. Yeah. It turns out he does. So, but I told him, I said, buddy, we cannot have thousands of books sitting on shelves around the house. It's messing up my joy. Okay. And so we just decided to compromise. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he is very crafty. And so we are just simply redecorating and it's working. It's working. So here's the thing, I tried a couple of other categories, I gave it another shot, but the other day, true story, I walked into the bathroom to find my son, Carson, thanking an empty tube of toothpaste before throwing it in the trash. (laughs) And so I decided it's probably time to take a break. I clearly do not understand this whole concept of sparking joy and that's, that's okay. That's okay. But it did get me thinking. When this sermon series, The Pursuit of Wisdom, was released at the beginning of the semester, and I looked through all of the various topics that were going to be discussed. Power, conflict, sexuality, finances, our language. I thought, wow, wow, these are good, these are real, these are tangible, pragmatic, I love this. And then I got my topic, joy. And immediately the song began playing through my head. One of these things is not like the other. I mean, like joy, it's great, it's important, right? But it's just not the same as finances and relationships. So that's when it hit me. I clearly don't understand the idea of sparking joy. But maybe I don't understand biblical joy either. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one. And so today I thought maybe we could just have a little family meeting. I mean, this is our last regularly scheduled chapel. We don't have Tuesday tour guests, it's just us. So, you know, I just wanna create a space where we can talk about the things we think about in a way that honors Jesus. (laughs) Then I remembered we have a podcast for that. So we're just gonna have a family meeting. (laughs) We're just gonna have a family meeting where we talk about joy. And the way that I want to do that is I thought maybe we could just debunk some myths. So I have three myths, three misunderstandings about joy that I think any number of us might have come in here with today. But my hope is that after studying some scripture and hearing the stories of people right here in our own family, maybe we can leave here with some truths instead. So I think the first logical question that you have to ask yourself is what is joy, right? I mean, what is it? The problem is, is that the typical answer that comes to mind is our first myth. Joy, well, it's a feeling, just like any other feeling. I mean, we're probably all familiar with the six primary emotions. You have anger and sadness, fear and disgust, surprise and joy. We've all seen the Pixar film, Inside Out, right? All of the emotions just hanging out together. There's joy, just like all of the rest of them, or is she? Because if you remember the story, joy is actually kind of their leader. And in fact, when joy goes missing from emotional headquarters, all of the other emotions start to kind of lose it. They don't know what to do. They can't make a rational decision. And what we see at the end of the story is that each feeling as it is felt, it actually only comes to completion when it's experienced in tandem with joy. See, I don't know whether the filmmakers at Pixar are believers or not, but that's the beauty of science and psychology. They can't help but reflect the word of God. Because when we see in scripture, what we see is example after example of feelings flaring up and feelings fading away, but joy, while still very much a feeling, it runs much deeper than all of the others. Joy has a staying power. We see sadness flee in Psalm 30 as the composer writes that his weeping may stay for the night but joy comes in the morning and that's echoed in Psalm 126, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Then the writer of Psalm 94 reveals the temporary state of fearful turmoil. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me great joy. And even in the New Testament, when the women left the tomb after the resurrection, Matthew notes that they were afraid yet full of joy. Then Psalm 137, it's a song written in a time of exile. The words here are full of pain and humiliation and deep anger. Yet in the midst of the psalmist's prayer for vengeance, he says, may I myself be punished if I do not remember, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So how does this work though? I mean, what makes this possible? They're up, they're down, they're here, they're there. Are we sure this is joy or are they just kinda manic? Well, if they are, I am too. Many of you know a little bit about mine and Michael's story, our journey through miscarriage. We've shared parts of our story in different contexts before, but what we usually share is that we lost three babies and it was a very dark time, but now we have two children and it's a very delightful time. We very rarely share the deep despair that we went through during those three years. Because see, when we lost our first baby, I was deeply, deeply sad. Now, I wasn't a stranger to sadness. Divorce, poverty, cancer, all of these things have touched my life. I'm not a stranger to suffering, no, but this this sadness was deep. It was personal. I cried every single day for months. Most days I could barely get home from work, get inside my door before I would collapse on the floor and just weep. And then most of the time I'd pick myself up just long enough to get to bed and there I would remain until morning. And about the time that I started to recover from the first loss, we lost our second. And this time I got mad. I was angry at everyone. I was angry at my doctors for not being compassionate enough. I was angry at my own body for not doing what it was supposed to do. I was angry at God for making me sit next to a pregnant teenager at my doctor's appointment. I was mad at a random lady in Target because she had five kids that she could not control. I was mad. And then round three, I became afraid. I was afraid to try again, even when the doctor said, we figured it out, we fixed it. I was afraid if we couldn't have kids, it would ruin our marriage. I was afraid if we did have kids, I'd be a terrible mother. Just this endless cycle of feelings. And then one day, an acquaintance of mine caught me at church and she looked me in the eye and she said, hey, I just want you to know you can be real with me. I said, what? I don't. What do you mean? She said, listen, I get it. You're a pastor's wife. You gotta put on the show. You gotta put on the face. You gotta say the line. God's still good. I get it but hey, this whole joy persona you're putting off, you don't have to do that with me. And immediately I was kind of flooded with all kinds of thoughts. Like first I was grateful. This woman really was being compassionate and kind. She was providing a space for me to mourn and to grieve. And let me tell you guys something, that's hard to find when you're in leadership in the church. But then I became frustrated. Why did this woman assume that my joy was a fraud? Why did she think that I was a liar? If I was exuding some kind of joyful persona, then it must be true. I have joy. I have joy. And that's when I was astonished by my own admission. I have joy. For the first time in that season in my life, I realized that right there in my sadness, walking through all of my anger, sitting beside my despair was joy. It had been there all along joy came through the compassion of my husband joy came through the gladness I had for a job I loved joy came through faithful friends who gave me hugs and hot meals and decorated my house for Christmas when I had no desire joy was a kind word at the right moment and no words in other moments joy was presence it was God's presence Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. I always knew that, but I'd forgotten. But now I saw it. I was upright. I was dressed. I was moving forward. And sometimes I was smiling because he was present and he was carrying me through every emotion. No, joy is not a feeling just like any other feeling. Feelings flare up. Feelings fade away, but joy remains. It's constant. And I think Proverbs 3 is really key in getting this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own understanding, because our hearts can be deceitful. Our emotions are all over the map. But if we lean into wisdom, we remember that God never changes. So by all means, feel. Feel. Please, please do not hear me saying, bottle that up sister, shut it down brother, nobody wants to see that, no, that is not what I'm saying, that is not healthy, nor is that biblical, please feel all the feelings, but as you do, filter those feelings through the lens of joy, because the truth is that joy is the foundational presence of the Father. So the next question then is usually, well, when can I expect joy? Because I mean, surely there's going to be times where I just won't, right? And this myth is very commonly believed. When, where? Well, joy, it just lives or dies based solely on your circumstances. I mean, it does make sense, doesn't it? When things are good, I'm good. But when finances are low, time is short, breakups happen, cars shut down, what, am I supposed to be excited about that? I don't think so. Joy based on circumstances. That's just, that's just common sense. Yeah. But here's the thing. If we decide that joy is solely based on circumstances, it's kind of like reading to the middle of a story and just declaring, you already know the end, right? Oh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron are in prison. Bellatrix just killed Dobby and Voldemort has the elder wand. That's it. They're dead. I'm through. We're not going to do that. Or what if when you saw infinity war, and half of the Avengers turned to ash in front of your eyes, you decided you just couldn't handle it. And so you decided you weren't gonna finish this 11-year, 11 11 22-film series, and you didn't go see Endgame this weekend. Well, if you would have done that, you would have never found out that Iron Man and Captain America actually both... Oh, so it's my fault you didn't go opening weekend? Hmm. Okay. Well, the point is, the point is, if we start believing that joy is based on this set of circumstances or that set of circumstances, then we will miss out on so much more of God's story. This is why we have inspirational examples in scriptures like the Apostle Paul, who says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And then again, in 2 Corinthians 7, in all our troubles, my joy knows no bound. He recognizes this. Sometimes life is hard, imprisonment, beatings, left for dead, but sometimes it's beautiful, peace, stability, the advancement of the kingdom. And the truth is, the gospel is still real, and the gospel is still relevant, no matter what season you find yourself in. That's why Jesus reminds his disciples in John chapter 16 to hang on. Yes, he acknowledges there will be grief, trouble, persecution ahead, but five times in this one passage, he also says there will be much joy, five times. He reminds his disciples that no, he may not be present in exactly the same way, but he will never leave them. His love is consistent throughout all circumstances. In verse 22, he says, now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He's telling his disciples here something that they can't fully understand, but we who live on this side of the resurrection, we can. Yes, our wealth may disappear, our relationships gone, security shaky, our health questionable, but Jesus' love upon that cross, no. No one and no thing can take that away from you. And let me just tell you guys something. I don't know if I've ever met anyone live this truth more beautifully than our own Jackie Gage. Miss Jackie came to work here in our library just a few months ago And what was it, maybe a week after she started here, she found out that she had a highly aggressive brain tumor. Well, about the day after that we got the email about Miss Jackie's diagnosis, I was coming into the library to head to my office, and there she was at the counter. And I knew I had to say something, but what do you say to someone who may have just received her death sentence? And so with a lump in my throat and tears in my eyes, I walked up to the counter and I said something really poetic like I i i <laughs> I said I am so sorry. I I I can't even imagine what you're going through. I'm not really sure what to say. And then I didn't have to say anything else because Jackie interrupted me, held up her phone and said, "Would you like to see my bald bitmoji?" <laughs> then I really didn't know what to say. <laughs> So I said, sure, and she explained to me that she was preparing to shave her head in preparation for surgery later that week, and she thought, you know, if she made her bitmoji bald, she could get used to the look. (laughs) Made sense to me. (laughs) So we had a good laugh, but then our tone turned a little bit more serious, and I asked her, I said, Jackie, how are you and Mike, her husband, how are you processing this? And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, You know, my first reaction was to begin making a list of all the things I want to do before surgery. Because no one knows what my condition will be when this tumor is removed. I could lose the use of my hands or legs, I could lose my ability to speak, I could lose my sense of humor. (laughs) So I want to plan my own funeral. I want to write letters to my children. I want to record myself playing piano for my grandchildren. But you know what? As quickly as my to-do list came to mind, I just as quickly set it aside. And last night when I went home and Mike and I sat down to dinner, the only list I wanted to make was the one counting my blessings. I want to write letters to my kids. That means God made me a mother. I want to make videos for my grandkids. I'm a grandma. I have to take time off of my brand new job, and I'm bummed because I like it here. When I think about this tumor, I'm a little sad, but I'm not mad. While there is still much I'd like to do, all I've been focusing on is remembering what God has already done. What Miss Jackie taught me that day is that we cannot Suddenly forget all that Christ has provided as soon as trouble knocks on our door. We cannot become so consumed with one season, one scene, one chapter of our story that we completely forget all of the others. Common sense may say that joy is based on circumstances, but wisdom knows. Wisdom knows that joy abounds in the consistency of Christ. So, what is joy? A foundation. When should we expect it? Consistently. But this third question, it's probably the most commonly asked, how do I find it? How do I actually achieve joy? Because the myth says joy just chooses certain people. I mean, y'all know, you've seen it. Those just ridiculously, naturally joyful people. I don't know if it's spiritual giftedness. I don't know if it's personality, but I know you know who they are. Those Enneagram sevens walking around. So optimistic. It's like they genuinely believe they can accomplish whatever they set their minds to with just enough cheerful determination. Well, let me get you just back to reality a little bit. Okay, it's the end of the semester. Not very many of us have that determination and a whole lot less of us have that cheerfulness, okay? So the point stands. Joy has been gifted to some and not others, right? I mean, I don't wanna name any names or anything. (laughs) Yes, I do. Okay, so I could go on and on naming faculty and staff members who just exude gladness. Zeus literally bounces everywhere he goes. (laughs) met a kinder human being than Darren King, Tammy Wood is the welcome sign for the mission building, and Teresa Baker, she does not just give us food, she gives us life. I know it. I know. But you know what? That's easy, because we're all old and we've lived our life. I get it. So I thought, well, you know what? Then I'll turn my attention to the largest portion of our family, the students, And let me tell you something, when I started to think about students who have the natural case of the joys, my list was pretty long. You might be surprised, but I wanna share just a little bit about three of them. So Jacob Smith is in his first year here at Ozark, but he came in fired up and ready to go. I don't know if you know Jacob, but let me just tell you, he is servant-hearted, he listens carefully, he answers thoughtfully, and he cares deeply. Now, Desiree Ferguson, Mm. That girl greets everyone she passes with a huge smile and a big hello. She is sunshine on a cloudy day, is she not? And Corey Halloran. Ha. <laughs> I mean, when I just, when I think of Corey, I just think of the word gusto. <laughs> I do I mean his his heart is big his laughter echoes and when you walk by him and he's singing which is often by the way you cannot help but hum along these are some of our very joyful friends but I still have to ask the question did that joy come naturally well you decide Jacob is no stranger to death In 2013, he lost both his grandmother and a cousin, and then in 2016, Jacob's father was diagnosed with acute leukemia, and was given two years to live. Well, his father received a stem cell transplant during that two years, and he was declared cancer-free, only to have the cancer return in two months' time. And that happened twice. In September of 2017, Jacob's best friend took his own life, and in January of 18, Jacob sat by his father's side as he took his last breath. So Jacob lost four people that he dearly loved in the span of five years. There is nothing naturally joyful about that. Now, Desiree has a disability. We all know that. But she herself will tell you, don't even worry about that. That is the least of her worries, and that is the easiest part of her story to deal with. Because see, Desiree was born to a mother who didn't know how to properly care for her needs, and to be perfectly honest, she didn't care to learn. And so from the time that Des was an infant, her mother would drug her to keep her quiet and still. So her early childhood, she felt the abandonment of emotional and mental pain. But then as Desiree grew older, her mother began helping herself to Desiree's medication. And so now Desiree felt that physical abandonment as well. But to add insult to injury, during years of Desiree's adolescence, while her mother was helping herself to her meds, her boyfriend was helping himself to Desiree. This is the kind of abandonment that still gives her nightmares. And then there's Corey. Corey actually had a really fortunate childhood. His parents were and still are married. His family was and still is very supportive. The church was and still is a part of his life. But from the time that Corey was in elementary school, depression has been a very real part of his story. Corey was bullied at a young age. He had no real friends and he spent most of his childhood alone. He remembers wearing a lot of different masks to be a whole lot of different kinds of people in a whole lot of different situations. And so in Corey's mind, no one actually knew him, therefore no one actually loved him. And that's why middle school was the first time when Corey considered taking his life. But it wasn't the last, because true friendship has been very elusive for Corey. But depression, anxiety, doubt, loneliness, those, Those are his constant companions. So I'll ask it again. Are these friends of ours joyful? Are they full of joy? Yes, they are. But it's not because they got an extra dose when it was being passed out at creation. So I asked them the secret, what is up with this? Because your stories of loss, pain, abuse, fear, anxiety, and abandonment, and the joy that you exude on this campus, they don't match. So what's the story? Well, Jacob said, my dad left an incredible legacy. He served the church and he loved his family. And so the way I see it, I have two choices. I can either wallow in my sadness and anger and claim that as my right because of the loss I've experienced, or I can finish what my dad started. He said, it doesn't mean that I'm not sad. It just means I'm also hopeful. But Desiree said, my story up to this point nearly broke me but I'm still here, so God's not done. (laughs) She told me, I now get to choose. I can either write the next chapter my way or I can let God take the pin. I still get nervous about what my future holds, but I'm just trying to be patient and faithful the way that he's been with me. And Corey said, I came to a point where I knew something had to change. I was living every single day believing that it was going to be exactly the same as the one before it, and that was leading me into a deep darkness. And so I started acknowledging every day as a gift. I started noticing every breath that I breathe, every cloud in the sky, every flower that I pass. Now, I'm still lonely. That has not changed, but my perspective has. Because I've learned that rejecting joy is a very real death, but choosing joy saved my life. Yes. Did you hear it? Yes. Did you hear it? I have two choices. I choose who writes my story. Choosing joy is choosing life. Man, if I listen to these three tell me their stories of a very good God in a very real dry and weary land, I could not help but think of Romans twelve twelve, Because Jacob chooses to be joyful in hope. Desiree chooses to be patient in affliction, and Corey chooses faithful prayers of thanksgiving over giving up, and they choose these things every single day. But here's the key. They know that the joy they possess is not accessed by their own power, but only by the power of the one who lives inside them. We know the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control but now we have to believe. We have to believe that these powerful character building, wisdom wheeling characteristics of God are not exclusive. They're available. They're available to every single one of us. So no, joy does not choose certain people, but also the Holy Spirit's not gonna come in without being invited. So we choose, we must choose joy So I read an interesting quote when I was trying to learn the KonMari method of tidying. <laughs> Marie Kondo said about her clients' success rate, she said it's 90% dependent upon their mindset. 90% dependent on mindset. See, I had the knowledge that I needed to tidy up, but I didn't see the process through long enough to actually gain understanding. Will you now have knowledge about true and lasting joy. You know that it is not a fleeting feeling, but it is the foundational presence of your Father. You know that joy is not based on circumstances, but it abounds in the consistency of Christ. And you know that joy does not selectively choose on whom to impart her goodness. We choose. We choose to live with an undeterred and powerful joy when we walk in the spirit of the living God. But knowledge isn't enough. We need wisdom because wisdom pursues understanding. Wisdom trusts. Wisdom puts joy into practice. Is it gonna be easy? Not always, but will it be worth it? Yes, pursuing wisdom is worth it every time. So let me just conclude our family meeting by praying a simple prayer over you from Romans chapter 15. May our God of hope fill you with all joy and fill you with peace as you trust in